This episode is brought to you by Matcha. Stay tuned for more information about them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Today's guest has arguably the most impressive resume of anyone we've had on the show with seemingly endless experience in both the legacy and crypto worlds. Before founding GSR in 2013, Rich was the global head of crude oil and derivatives trading at Goldman Sachs. I wanted to have Rich on because he's done a complete 180 transitioning from perhaps the most Wall Street job possible to the world of cryptocurrency trading and innovation. Rich Rosenblum, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks a lot for having me. So as I mentioned, you were at the top of the totem pole at Goldman Sachs. So I'm curious what compelled you to toss that inside, probably a very comfortable job, and move into the crypto in the very early days, long before it was mainstream. I think the reason why I got into uh, uh, oil trading and commodities was that it's a lot more exciting than other areas, a higher volatility, and you know it's, it's very uh, event-driven, and you really don't know what's going to happen next. And when I say that, I mean, you know what's going to happen five minutes from now, you don't know what's going to happen a year from now. And I think that um, when the opportunity to do something in, in crypto came up, you know, it, it seemed like that next, uh, you know, bigger and better, more interesting thing. And also, I think that, you know, it's energy related. It relates to sort of a, you know, real world assets. It's not just something that people think is a figment of someone's uh, imagination because it's uh, something you can't uh, touch. There are the machines and the land they use to do the mining. So a lot of things that made it made it quite interesting. But I think everyone understands that now, but nobody understood that in 2013. I mean, that was a huge <laughs> leap of faith when Bitcoin was only four years old. Uh, almost none of the crypto infrastructure existed, and probably there were only a few coins, right? Yeah, this was before Tether, before Ethereum, so it was, it was certainly early. Okay, so I'm curious, being from the legacy side, as we, we we like to call it, do you think now that we're truly seeing a movement towards mainstream adoption from Wall Street? I mean, I'm sure you still have your contacts there and talk to them, or do you think that we're still really early in that process? I, I think it's uh, it's it's yes and no, because we, we are seeing some buying from these institutions, but it's really just a handful of pioneers so even though you know it is happening, I still think it's it's very early. We're we're definitely in the early innings. Do you think that there will be a time when Bitcoin cryptocurrency become just another asset in the portfolios of all these big banks and your average person, or do you think that it still will remain somewhat of a fringe asset? I, th- I think we're already um, getting there. If you look at the amount of attention it gets, <laughs> I think that um, you would think that it's a, a core asset. You're you're certainly hearing more about crypto than. Uh, credit markets or emerging markets, if you look at Bloomberg. So I do think that that level of attention, you could say, is uh, is a media bias is one thing. Uh, but I think it's more than that. I think it's that, you know, it's it's the the future is the sort of uh, short version for it. No one's looking at uh, oil or commodities as, as this is uh, tools for the future. It's more about how can we minimize um, these these tools, which, you know, damage the earth. Meanwhile, I don't necessarily think uh, you know, Dogecoin is going to be used on, on Mars, but the fact that the, the richest and arguably the most powerful, smartest man in the world is talking about it on a weekly basis and has, a, has the, the Bitcoin B um, you know, on his profile and he's is one of many and, and the red eyes, I do think that it's uh, for, forbearing a future where it's going to be an asset that's on the forefront. And also, I think from the investment background, it makes sense that we're seeing these through the lens of them being investments. 
but I think it's more of a, a parallel ecosystem in, in finance and tech. So it's it's much bigger than being an asset alone. So you don't see it as replacing the legacy systems that exist. You see it as a parallel rail, maybe for people who want to opt out or who don't have access to those systems. Uh, it's, it's so many things at once and can be very particular in contingencies. There's some tools that have been created in uh, finance that are being applied to crypto. Uh, there's the contrast where there's tools that are very unique to crypto and I think will be applied um, to legacy. There's places where there will be a, a natural uh, a meshing of the two. There's groups that want to stay you know, outside the, the law and do things that are very much uh, counterculture. But I think that over time, those interests fade and there's uh, groups that want to have a sort of harmony. Um, within the traditional financial system, but I would say that uh, you know it's it's a, it's a movement, and it's not um, tens of thousands of people. It's it's into the at least tens of millions of people. And when it gets into uh, the billions, I think that it's going to be too complex to, to pigeonhole into one spot. That that makes perfect sense. So I'm curious as to what exactly GSR does and how that's evolved uh, since 2013. So you've been doing this now for eight years. So we we started off uh, as a trader, and it was not um, a trader that's doing pure prop like uh, a lot of algo traders would do. But I think we saw the opportunity to use software to, to trade. And as opposed to commodities where um, myself and co-founder uh, grew up, where there was a physical floor, even being tall, strong, loud voice, uh, having a bigger presence made a difference. Crypto is a bit like in India where they skipped the landlines and went straight to mobile phones. And in some ways, without that other system, it was better. You could move things forward um, more quickly. And I think in crypto, there wasn't a physical floor and there wasn't yet uh, professional algo trading companies involved. You had some tendentially involved, even some groups that it would be someone in their free time. They were at you know, a, a top algo trading firm and on the side, they were doing a PA. I think we were one of the first to, to jump in and be a professional trading team um, wholly invested in, in crypto. And so the first thing we were doing was, you know, bringing liquidity to the space, particularly to the issuers of coins and tokens, and eventually to exchanges. Um, today, we're uh, the primary market maker for over a half dozen major exchanges. And so that was the, the first um, spoke, I'd say, um, in terms of the, the tools we're using software to trade. Uh, the next we realized is that the market was lacking uh, derivatives trading. Some of the groups like us were trading options and futures algorithmically, but they didn't have an ability to kind of see the client side and see derivatives as a tool uh, to bring future risks prompt. And we had this uh, focus on helping large countries, sovereign wealth funds understand their risks. And so wanted to bring some of that type of focus into crypto. So that's something that I'd say we really got to be uh, spending a lot of time on three years ago. And it's about a year and a half, uh, a year ago that options have uh, boomed and, and taken off. So it, it went from writing op-eds uh, about um, what's going to happen to now um, showing that it's into the billions or tens of billions of volumes. And the next stages, I, I think, are that you know, investment management is an area where we're um, in the midst of entering as well as DeFi. I think we've been, been slow because we're a bit more conservative than some other firms that are in the space. Our, our team's a bit bit older and we don't really um, cross the gray lines, but now it seems like DeFi is, is pervasive and we're, we're playing a bit of catch up. And that's a major focus as well as, uh, you know, venture. We don't have outside capital, but um, we've had a consistent, uh, you know, venture focus. And now we're looking to, to grow the amounts we're investing. And I think that's a really important area because, you know, putting your money where your 
mouth is important. Sure. It helps uh, align interests, particularly as a, as a service provider. When you invest in, in the partner, they know that you're looking to, to do right by them in, a, in another type of layer. You were obviously early and you were doing algorithmic trading in 2013. I have to imagine that there were some stark inefficiencies in the market that were quite easy to take advantage of for profit. Yeah, I'd say that the first comes to mind is you hear people talk about the kimchi premium, how there was premiums nearly 50% above where spot would be in Korea or other jurisdictions. But I'd say that you think in hindsight, like there's been other regimes, I'm sure you focused on, not just in, in crypto, where there's some major ARB and you'll hear that people or in particular one person made a ton of money. It seems easy in hindsight, but when you're really there, there's usually some flying to Korea, opening bank accounts, someone not wanting to open a bank account if they perceive it's from, from crypto or you're not a local. And it's a bit deeper than that, that um, it's an entrepreneurial pursuit more than an algorithmic pursuit. So many of these um, are reasons why we've ended up having people, not just in three countries, um, because those are good places for commerce and not just six, because these are places where we found good employees. But it started to add up to a lot more than that because we needed to be in the places that um, our clients were, the, the opportunities were, places like the, the Philippines or um, Japan. So I think that that's what makes this a more interesting industry because there's so many different uh, touch points. Yeah, I think a lot of people tried to touch on it as retail even in 2017 when those glaring opportunities were there and it was effectively impossible for the reasons that you described. Even if you can get a bank account in that country, you can't actually send the money out. And by the time you do it, the arbitrage opportunity obviously evaporates. Um, so uh, I'm just curious if those sort of arbitrage opportunities have effectively disappeared, your market making. So clearly you're moving coins around, right? Um, or is it the Wild West cease to exist in this market? I'd say that the quick answer is yes, but, but things are usually speeding up as markets uh, mature and and getting more more complicated. Um, it could be that there's instead of 45 days, some some premiums persisting. Maybe it's 45 minutes. And then instead of these issues um, around timing um, being due to a bank, maybe it's due to an exchange. And exchanges withholding deposits or withdrawals. So if you have money sitting already on those uh, account balances then you could take advantage of it. So it ends up being a bit of a probabilistic pursuit where you have to think about the probability of these ARBs opening up and prepare for it, then compare that return on, on capital to doing something else with those same dollars. So uh, the, the big news of this week as we're recording here on August 10th has obviously been the US infrastructure bill, uh, which was sort of a uh, surprising spotlight on crypto and a bill that effectively had nothing to do with crypto, but now all of a sudden, you know, uh, crypto regulation is being debated arguably on the largest stage uh, by the United States Senate, which by the way, I would have never imagined in a million years. But I'm curious, you know, being in the business, how much do you think that this bill, but more generally, you know, heavy handed regulation potentially could hurt or slow the industry? I, I think that when there's, there's always groupthink and a lot of bias within a particular industry. And I think if you get with a group of people in crypto, you hear this word regulation, and it seems like it's, an, it's an outright negative, like somebody's saying a, a bad word. But um, going back to 2018, um, GSR, one of the founders of a group called Adam, the Association of Digital Asset Markets, and we got together. And this is most of the big crypto financial players. I think it was originally a group of, of, of 12 and sitting in a room and 
it's uh you know compared to the you know the buttonwood agreement which is something uh, originally in, in equities and the the question was raised was how are we going to um, bring this industry not to be because 150 billion at the time but you know 5 5 trillion and think that it was through you know the right amount of appropriate regulation we're going to have these larger institutions come in you know with confidence and be able to smoothly enter and exit so i'd say that um, looking at this particular crypto bill now, it has to be appropriate amount of regulation. If it's if they're not securities, especially Bitcoin is seen as more of a, a spot commodity or, or a currency. Um, if you're a miner, if you're a node operator, uh, other type of validator, and you have to print a ticket and, and publish uh, 1099 or other tax reporting on any type of activity you do, that could cause people not to enter the space or, or raise the, the cost, add an extra burden or get people in trouble because they didn't, didn't know they were supposed to, to do it. So I think at the start of where the bill was at, I definitely think it would stymie innovation and, and hurt the profits of the industry and generally just make it seem like the, the government didn't understand um, the industry. But I think it's been um, diluted to the point where it's more what I would think is appropriate. And even if it's going to um, make the market sell off because some groups might want it to sell because they feel uh, regulation is going to hurt or slow things down. I think it's short-term neutral to slightly um, bearish, but medium and long-term bullish. I think regulation should be uh, a positive thing and we should you know, welcome it and address it with open eyes. Regulation will be a net positive as well. I agree. And I think that this particular debate has been the greatest advertisement for Bitcoin in history. I mean, you, every U.S. senator now, mainstream media, they were already talking about it, but talking about it in context of the biggest piece of legislation on the book seems to me like a huge win. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe no. I'm an eternal optimist, but... <laughs> But, but to uh, me, it seems like, and it also, I mean, it should not be missed that we're talking about basically printing a trillion more dollars for an infrastructure bill in the same context talking about Bitcoin, right? Oh, totally. It's, it's, it's the right stage. Um, I think the right timing as well. And um, what was it, a, a year or two ago where you had Zuckerberg and testifying and based on the questions asked, the responses, it didn't seem like the government knew much about Facebook or about um, you know social media, but even after all the questioning, all the hours, it didn't seem like they had such a positive view on it, and neither did the American people. So I think here with crypto in the spotlight, you know, however much Gensler is seen as the person who's bringing regulation down, coming down hard, saying so many of these things are ICOs, he also said, listen, I taught at MIT, and the, whatever Satoshi Tsunoda came up with, it's, it's brilliant, you know? So I do think that the message um, it hasn't it hasn't been as mixed. I think it's been outright positive. It's just that they they want to create some some taxes um, they 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 want to to do something that they feel like it's not in no man's land. And also to see what what China is doing, probably don't want to be that the the u s. is suddenly allowing things to go be unwieldy. So I think it's all positive developments. So what do you see happening in the industry in the coming months and years that you haven't seen yet when it pertains to mainstream adoption. I mean, we've obviously, we saw the 2017 run. In retrospect, that was obviously retail speculation. We talked about institutional adoption at that time, but clearly that was not happening. Tesla wasn't going to buy 1.5 billion in custody on a Trezor wallet, right? We didn't have the infrastructure in place for custodians, any of those things. Do you think we're still lacking anything now that we need for that huge wall of money 
to come in or do you think the infrastructure is there and now we just need the interest? Yeah, I'd say we've, we've had those moments that are like drop the hammer, major impact things happening like uh, Tesla and SpaceX um, buying and accepting Bitcoin. That's pretty major. But I think that it's still one of these things where it's uh, a bit more appearances sake. I think that sure. the, the bigger um, shoe to drop would be an ETF being allowed. I think that people um, miss the fact that, yes, you can buy tokens, you can buy them by crypto on um, Coinbase. It's relatively uh, easy. Uh, you could buy Coinbase stock. But I think that there's so much money that's in people's IRAs, other retirement accounts. And usually the way those decisions are made are that somebody is on a website and they're either clicking one of a few options. And um, I, don't, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that if there was a crypto option, particularly people that are under 30, and these are people that it's a stronger demographic for crypto, and they're going to be getting a lot more money over this next 10 years. If they had that crypto option, it's probably going to be their first choice. Another, I would say, is, is terms of adoption. You know, I don't think about Bitcoin as so much the leader of innovation these days. It does get a lot of attention. And it makes sense that it's, it's, it's really um, what's in focus because um, it's competing against gold and gold is a major old school asset class. But I would say in terms of adoption of actual Bitcoin, if we did have Amazon or a company of that ilk accept um, Bitcoin, I think that would be a, another huge dynamic. And uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think you know, if, that, if Amazon came out and really said that publicly and was committed to it, I think we'd be at new all-time highs almost instantly. I agree. So you brought up gold, obviously you're a commodities trader. What do you make of the gold price action? I mean, you could say over the last year, but we obviously saw sort of a technical drop uh, of late, but what do you make of the fact that we're seeing this incredible amount of money printing in context, you would have imagined that gold would have risen. It's basically flat and Bitcoin has continued to rise. I think you said it already. I think that the same gold bugs, um, there's some that have been quite outspoken against Bitcoin. You don't really hear that anymore. And I think the time the Bitcoin rallying a lot, you know, it's, it's been, it's been um, because people are not buying gold, they're buying a Bitcoin instead. So I think that there's going to be people, especially um, that are the older generations that just never get Bitcoin. But I think as time passes, um, gold's going to lose some of its shine to, to Bitcoin. So you think metals are done? I mean, is it, they're just no uh, longer an effective hedge and we're going to slowly see them die. We talk about the flippening of Bitcoin and gold market cap and everybody talks about how much Bitcoin needs to grow. But it might be a lot easier to flip it if the market cap of gold just continues to diminish. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you never know what happens in 30 years if we're so online that when you wake up, you've got your your VR goggles on. But I think, um, you know, for the, for the next decade with the world um, looking the way it is, it's not, oh, gold is, is done. Uh, it's a scarce asset. It's much more known and uh, people know what to, to, do, to do with it. Um, but I think on margin, when you see these uh, moves where there's a headline, um, Bitcoin is like levered gold. So you'd have to look at it on, under the same volatility. And so if you had um, another few high inflation prints, um, you know, Paul Jeter Jones said it's the fastest horse. You know, it's bleeding edge technology. There's less liquidity. It's, it's newer, less mature. Bitcoin's going to move more. Um, so I wouldn't count gold out if there was a proper in inflation and it seemed like it was going to be, be consistent. It's easier to almost predict what's going to happen with gold because because you, you have you know, 300 years of data. Context, um, yeah, exactly. But on on margin, I think you're going to see more 
attention shifting to the, the, the newer thing. It's also just a, has a technological wrapper that makes it easier to, to transfer. It's not just inflation properties. Um, there's many reasons why if someone is trying to choose between the two, particularly as an individual, I think you're going to lead towards crypto. Guys, I really hope that all of you are not still trading on the old platforms like Uniswap when there are much better options like Matcha. And now Matcha has upgraded to 2.0. Now, I've told you about Matcha a number of times. They have limit orders, which these other platforms don't, which is absolutely incredible. So you don't have to sit there staring at your screen waiting for that perfect moment to enter or exit a trade. And they also aggregate liquidity from all of the different platforms, finding you the best price and reduced fees. But now they have Matcha 2.0 and have added so many awesome features. Matcha is now the only DEX with an integrated fiat on-ramp. You can put your dollars directly onto the platform. They also now have OTC trading for orders between 1K and 1 million, which is beyond huge. And maybe most importantly, Matcha now supports trading on Polygon, meaning that those gas fees will almost evaporate completely. Now, if you guys want to check out Matcha, which you absolutely should, you can do that at the Wolf of all streets dot link slash matcha that's the wolf of all streets dot link slash matcha please check them out i'm telling you it will save you so much money and is such a superior experience do it now going back to the etf i also agree that that's sort of where the wall of money falls in you talked to a, a, about it sort of in context of retail and gen z and millennials i guess having access to access to it but for me that's also where we see the endowments and the pension funds start to be able, I think they have interest, but start to be able to actually gain exposure. Do you agree? Absolutely. I think that a lot of these groups that have you know, over 10 billion, over 100 billion, in, in many cases, they have uh, allocators that have to, you know, fill in the fill in the holes about um, all the controls they went through. And I'd say if they put 1% into something and it goes up, yeah, they're going to get a pat on the back, but if it goes wrong, they're going to get fired. I think if they buy an ETF that's been blessed by the SEC, it's a much less, less risky um, proposition. So even if you, you might have uh, less than 1%, so 10, 10 basis points of pensions that have touched crypto, I think that um, once it's an ETF, I think that would quickly jump up to, to 5 maybe 10%. So you talk about the risk managers and sort of the reputational risk of, of gaining exposure to Bitcoin. And it's funny because for years, it was sort of like you had to be a crazy maverick to probably even bring it up in a board meeting, right? You're the, and you had this reputational risk of even mentioning crypto. I would argue that now we have the opposite situation and that it happened all basically in the last year. I think now you have reputational risk if you can't answer the crypto questions if you're sitting in that meeting. I think that's true. If, if you say, oh, I'm just against it and you don't have reasons why, you're going to look like you, you uh, aren't intellectually honest and you didn't do your research. Um, so I'd say there's also some issues around liquidity. Over this past year, not only did the infrastructure become available and the taboo started to, to fade away, I think from a liquidity standpoint, Yes, you could buy $300 million of Bitcoin over the course of a month, and you wouldn't have to pay all that much slippage. You probably wouldn't have impacted the market all that much, but you couldn't get out within 24 or 48 hours without having a large impact on the price um, and without being a, a decent chunk of the daily liquidity. So a lot of these groups are going to have these mandates where they, they need to be able to get out within a certain time frame, um, which, which makes sense if you're moving around that much money. Um, they don't want to have people in these concentrated positions who are going to move it 30% um, by, by trading it over the course of the day. But now that the, the market is trading into the tens of billions per day, that's less of an issue. And I think that 
um, Ethereum is also getting that territory where it is investable from large asset institutions. And people know that Ethereum is the king of you know, smart contracts. So I do think that people move from the digital um, gold mantra to moving into a decentralized world mantra. I think you're going to see people start to maybe go from almost all Bitcoin with a, a taste of Ethereum to maybe even 50-50. Well, Ethereum's trading volumes have exceeded that of Bitcoin over the past few months, actually. Um, so I think the data supports what you're saying. So I'm curious then for you guys or as an investor, do you believe that it's now an equal horse in the race? You know, we always heard about all Bitcoin. Then maybe a year or two ago, it was 80-20 Bitcoin, Ethereum. Now you're saying maybe 50-50. Is that where you guys are at? <laughs> I think it's still, um, you know, Bitcoin is, is going to have a lead and I think it's going to continue to, to stay there. I haven't heard of anyone really in the media talk about being a Ethereum maximalist. And there's people that were, you know, made a lot of money early in Ethereum and they're, they're zealous, but there's, there's no maximalist uh, as far as Ethereum goes. I think people think that it's going to be a leader versus you still have a cadre of people that believe that, you know, Bitcoin is really the only coin and everything else um, you know, is, is, is far inferior. Um, so I still kind of think of the 70-30 regime as a, a natural thing. If it was uh, a friend and they asked me what I think is logical and they have a lot of knowledge or someone who's just dipping in, it still seems to be um, making sense to me. Do you guys trade down the risk curve into the lower market caps beyond Bitcoin and Ethereum? Absolutely. So that's been our, our, our specialty, I'd say, because we're a contracted market maker um, for these um, issuers. And so we'll we'll invest and shepherd them into the ecosystem. And we've been on a, a lot more exchanges than groups that would be focused purely for, for props. We have access to these coins and tokens and made a name for ourselves and really being able to trade um, almost anything. How far down the line does that go? I mean, I mean it, market it goes, cap wise. I, it, it, it's, uh, it's not going to be worth our time to trade something where it's uh, you know particularly small. But if we have a, a client that needs liquidity on a, a smaller AUM asset, then we'll, we'll usually go to help. So it goes goes towards the very bottom. We'll, we'll consider it. That's really interesting. So you mentioned before when we were talking about gold, you said maybe if we see a phase where there's real inflation concern, something to that effect, do you not view the current environment as uh, risky as far as inflation? Do you think that it's transitory? What do you make of the macro situation? as far as inflation? I think there's things about it that seem temporary. Um, obviously, we had a su supply shock, uh, we have a monetary shock uh, due to the pandemic. But at the same time, there are some more secular trends where workers want to get paid more. And it's uh, you know populist um, developments where I think these are going to stick. I don't think that it's easy going to have a movement where people say, bring minimum wage down. You know, these are one of those things where, where when it goes up, it's going to stick and it's probably going to keep going up. So there are inflationary pressures. But I think, is it going to be run away? I think that there could be the threat that it's, that's run away. But I think that as uh, it goes up, it'll probably break some bubbles and there'll be certain areas that that go up. But I think overall, what's preventing inflation, in my view, from, from being persistent and um, pervasive is technology. I think that's what's confused economists for decades, that why are we breaking uh, you know, what the Phillips curve says we should, should, should be in terms of the relationship between inflation and, uh, and unemployment? And I think it's that you know, robots, software, you don't have to pay them and they work 24-7. And I think we're only going to be using more. We're just breaking the surface on AI. There's going to be reasons why you have to employ humans and you have to pay them uh, minimum wage. Minimum wage is going to creep up. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of jobs that are going to go to machines and that's going to keep wages lower. So you keep wages lower, but it also means that the system of 
utilizing inflation for growth is utterly flawed because it's fighting the natural course of deflation. You can make the argument that if technology is so deflationary that we should allow deflation to happen, uh, allow the prices of things to come down, and then lower wages wouldn't matter, right? So, I mean, isn't any inflation effectively fighting the headwinds of a naturally deflationary environment? Yeah, it's like you look at the lazy fair economy and let the, the hand do what it needs to do. There's clearly that impact um, you know, looking to happen. But I think you've got two things going on. One is that there, it's not one big sort of socialist um global economy, you have a bunch of different types of economies that are all interacting uh, with one another. And another side of it is that you have um, social media and this idea that you're more aware of what your government is doing. And I think that's creating a, more of a global populist sort of wave. And it's highly unpopular to raise interest rates. I think that times where groups have, have tried, you know, they've seen their constituents become very unhappy and complain about it. And so if there's any way to create steady growth, um, even if it's uh, unrealistic or irrational, groups will try to do it, even if it seems short-sighted and could create unforeseen consequences down the line. I think that's going to be a trend we continue to see. And that's one of the, the biggest reasons why I think people um, are thinking Bitcoin has been de-risked. And, and I think even if we have rates of 30% of people in XYZ country uh, own Bitcoin, I don't think those rates have to go up that much. It's just that someone really understands and more, they're going to end up, you know, instead of putting 1% of their net worth in Bitcoin, I think you're going to see more people that have 30% in Bitcoin. So the reason is because politicians want to get reelected. <laughs> and, yeah, and we'll never, and we'll never, simple. Right. Yeah. And, and we'll never support a policy that would uh, do otherwise. But doesn't that mean that money printing is here to stay and it's never going to stop? I mean, they're going to have to continue to print money. If people are going to lose their jobs, we have to give them money if we want to get reelected, right? I mean, there was that asteroid that we think killed all the dinosaurs. You never know. There could be weird things happening. But I think that one of the, the, the trends, I think that it's hard to imagine going away without some, some huge change is, um, you know, governments want to keep, keep rates low to continue having growth. So buy Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, 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 so speaking of Bitcoin, obviously, um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster in 2021. We saw this massive bull run up to 65, uh, a correction, which some would have argued was a bear market down to 29. And now as we're talking, we're currently trading back around 46. What do you make of that entire run? What happened on the way up? What happened on the way down? Was it a bear market? Is it still a bull market? Uh, I'm just curious as your thoughts. Yeah. Some of these questions around, was it a bear market, bull market? I think that it, I feel silly saying it, it wasn't because if the market drops over 50%, Certainly doesn't seem like a, a bull market, but I think right. that when you go outside of price and you think about um, hiring, you think about private market valuations, um, have never witnessed more hiring um, from our partners, from our competitors, um, from our clients, um, and also in terms of private market valuations. You know, as the price dropped from middle of May um, to those lows, the private market valuations weren't just staying stagnant. In some cases, they were you know multiplying yeah. or at least um, doubling. So. From that perspective, I think the industry continued to charge deeper and deeper into a bull market, despite the, the coins and what felt like a state of collapse in, in many of these cases. And I'd say, what's driving the, the, the prices? Well, what's happening right now? A lot of the headlines are pretty bearish, even though we could talk around regulation being long-term um, bullish, China coming down hard. A lot of these miners are just, you know, not even operational. They're being put on chips to eventually find a home. You know, U.S., I, I 
I think that people don't know what's going to happen. The uncertainty around regulation, um, that's bearish, especially, you know, Elon now is, is back on the horse, but he was outright, um, you know, negative on the space for at least a, a, a month. So with all these dynamics, it did seem very negative um, for the space, but somehow now we're, we're back at what, 46,000 in Bitcoin. I think most people are, are surprised. And I'd say that um, only two dynamics I could think of why um, right now we're at relatively lofty prices and in, in what's been a, a weak period um, for the tokens is that you do have bigger size in these um, you know, large uh, investment managers and they come in. If, if a new group wants to buy a billion in Bitcoin, another wants to buy 300 million um, for the, the few weeks, they're going to have a VWAP, you know, weight, weighted average price or a TWAP, a time weighted average. They're going to be buying every day, all day. And unless you have selling that day, the market's going to drift higher. So I think it's probably what's been happening. And these groups don't necessarily look at it as like, what are the headlines this week? They looked at it six months ago when everyone else is buying. And it's taken them half a year to get the approvals from their board to buy. And now did all that much change since the time that they started that process? They went through such a long, arduous process that now that, that there's a green light, they go in um, and buy. So I do think that that's one dynamic of why um, you know, prices are moving, moving higher more recently, as well as what happened with crypto um, seasonally over the past dozen years. It tends to sell off in the summers. I think that's because people make money throughout the year then they want to go enjoy themselves in the summer and spend some of those those gains. This summer, I thought we have a, a major um, seasonal impact because people were stuck inside for not um, six months, but a, a year and a half, and they had much bigger gains. So I thought they'd want to go out um, because the, the mask ordinance was lifted right around mid-May when the, the, the price started coming off. So I think that was a, a big dynamic. But what's happening these last few weeks, the Delta variant is causing... Um, some some new restrictions. It's causing people to be back sitting at their houses, working from from home, back in front of their their computer screens, and they're doing. Doesn't have to be day trading. It's just what am I doing if I'm in front of my laptop all day instead of outside? Maybe I should check on my crypto account. Oh, I like crypto. Why don't I buy some more? I thought they were just buying meme stocks on Robinhood, but I guess maybe they're looking at us too. Um, so it sounds like, and I sort of agree, like the bull market, bear market terminology, I mean, it's always flawed because it depends on context and time frame, regardless, right? I mean, if you look at crypto since 2009, it's obviously never been out of a bull market if you, you know, if you zoom out far enough. And so it seems like it's somewhat semantics, right? Bear market for price, maybe, but bull market for the industry is sort of what you're saying. There was no ceasing growth. growth. It's just that leveraged traders got rinsed. I mean, in my opinion, that's uh, really the core of what happened. When you see $10 billion liquidated from 60,000 to 50,000, but we're only seeing 200 million liquidated from 30 to 40 something, that tells the story, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes, makes sense. And yeah, it's interesting to think about you know, cyclical industries like uh, the mortgage industry um, and the commodities industry. You know, when you have an oil route, you know, people are getting fired. Companies uh, go under. And that certainly hasn't been the feeling in, in crypto. So yeah, I'd agree that even though uh, the price has such a big move, um, I think that it's a higher volatility industry. So whatever the terms are that have been popularized through equities, that if you have 10% drop, that's probably a correction. And they have these economic terms that go back to you know, the definition of a, a, a depression or a recession. I think in crypto, the volatility is five times as high so it probably needs some other um, metrics and maybe we'll 
you know, learn about them in the next couple of years. Sure. Right. Uh, bear market being 20% drop for more than a month or two months or something. And a 50% drop in a crypto, especially non-Bitcoin is like a Tuesday, right? <laughs> you can see that on, yeah. you can see that on an altcoin in an hour. And, <laughs> and, and so do you call that a bear market or not? I, I think I agree with you that uh, we probably need different definitions for this market completely. So that said, here we are. You think that it's institutional or large money buying that's brought price here. Do you think that the floor is in and we're heading up? It's really difficult to read the market in the, the short term, um, but I think that we're going up over the, the medium long term. I think you know, two years out, five years out, I can't think of many things I'd rather own um, than Bitcoin. But I think you know, over these next few months, uh, I wouldn't have been able to guess a lot of the events that happened over the past three months you know, beforehand. So even if I think my, my mind can telegraph what's going to happen um, in the, in the fourth quarter um, it, it's, it's, I've learned not to, to, to be too uh, confident in terms of the near-term guesses. Sure. So zooming out, how high can this thing go? I'm talking about 10 years, 20 years, not uh, 10 months. Yeah. So I'd say, uh, you know, 20 years out, how much inflation we're going to have. If we have 30% more dollars um, just last year uh, alone, if you go out 20 years, you know, what is the price of a, you know, a burger or, or, or milk going to be? So I think if um, just having an inflationary view that they're going to print more dollars, I think that means you know, Bitcoin is going to go substantially higher. Um, but I think at the same time, because I do believe in the industry and I think I know who we're hiring. I know who's coming into it, both from an individual perspective and a company perspective. You know, I, I think that the price could be you know, substantially higher. So a million dollars a coin, I think people would, would have laughed at uh, a few years ago. But now it seems, seems um, pretty reasonable. I think that even uh, you know, if we're at one trillion now, I think a hundred trillion wouldn't be such a crazy target um, for a full two decades out. Um, so, so right now, um, you know, if we're at you know, 45,000, you know, and that's a uh, 1 trillion, you know, a hundred X, um, or half you know, it's 3 million bucks a coin. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, I'll, I'd be happy to hand, hand off some Bitcoin to my children at uh three or $4 million a coin <laughs> gladly, but I, I, I agree with you, but do people still laugh at you if you say something like that? Because a year ago, they would have called you crazy and had you committed talking about million dollar uh, I think so long as it's a focus on 20 years out, I think if you say one year out, you're going to seem pretty crazy. Sure. Um, it's also think, interesting to think about what that means for society. I think um, there's places where, you know, had a view on crypto bros and what people are doing and their um, side gigs with crypto. But now you have people that have tens of billions of dollars from doing what? Just holding Bitcoin. So if it got to be that those same people literally have trillions and the numbers with a billion um, are, are into the thousands or tens of thousands, you know, it has actually a, a huge impact on society as a whole. And there's always a you know, philosophical question on like, like, what is the right way to attribute value to individuals and entities in a society? And I wouldn't say that's the best way that people that hold on to a, uh, a figment uh, asset, but sure. uh, you know, it's always some people that, that uh, you know, win when they're closer to the finance. But, uh, right. So I had Steven Stoneberg, the CEO of a 
uh, Bittrex Global on, and he basically said, you know, there was a time when the bankers were the billionaires and they were the rich guys, and the hedge fund guys came in and were like, haha, my yacht's bigger, like we're the billionaires now. And now it's like Sam Bankman Fried, who's in his 20s and has probably $20 billion. Do you think we're soon going to be in a world where some of the richest people in the world are, you know, Gen Z and millennials who are worth tens of billions of dollars? And that could really change the sort of the sort of the landscape of wealth. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're certainly starting to see it. I think that um, with the tech booms, you've had points where someone young, like a, a Zuckerberg, um, gets to a position where you have, uh, this also goes back to Bill Gates, where sure. someone is a, a Harvard dropout or so. But I think that you haven't had cases where there's a, it's an eight-year-old who's mining XYZ token, making millions. I, I think that in crypto, it's getting to be pretty insane. I think the only thing that could be weirder is if it was something in you know, anime or gaming where there's this amount of money. And I think you have had people in those um, types of industries that are a bit more you know, media or, or poppy. Um, but I think that putting crypto in the mix almost like adds steroids and extra leverage to making these sort of weird um, industries you know, stand out and be more profitable. Yeah, we're seeing that now with NFT gaming, like literally... Axio Infinity, I think it's called, is now responsible for 60 or 70% of the NFT transactions as of last week or something. And it's a concept that probably people our age would have never even imagined or considered. It. I'm certainly not going to go start gaming to figure it out. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. I know you guys, you mentioned your VC arm. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you had invested in mining in China. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We um, So we actually do mining ourselves. We've invested in, um, you know, mining companies from the VC side, but also, um, you know, own, own miners and have been doing um, GPU mining. Um, so I think that's an area where, you know, we, we saw it as a good um, area to be in, investing in both direct and indirect, but also as a mining services provider, it helps to be eating um, your own cooking. So if we hedged our own mining and we, we really uh, understand the ethos of, of being a miner for doing it ourselves, thought that would be better for our, our business at, at large. So um, hasn't been our, our, our key focus area. I didn't bring it up on the, the onset of the call, um, but it is um, something I think we'll continue to do and, and continue to grow. But China, banning mining, I'm assuming you invested before that happened. What did that look like? Uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's a big place and um, there's, there's different regions and also um, there's different types of energy you can use. And there's a, a season for hydroelectric um, power. It's the, the, the cheapest. And then once the rainy season is over, migrate the machines to whether it's coal or, or natural gas. So it's, it's certainly its own um, unique ecosystem where when you look at crypto and think about people uh, in crypto, there's at least um, you know, six or more sort of archetypes. And I think one of those is absolutely these um, Chinese miners. And while we have an operation, you know, there's groups that have um, uh, you know, stadium-sized uh, mining operations. And when you look at who is doing it, it's more of these um, you know, families that had figured out how to way to make a, a, a BIP pen a tenth of a cent instead of two tenths of a cent. And they're, they're making uh, billions of pens. And they figured, okay, this is an operating company. It's, you know, we think about it as technology and there's software around it, particularly in the, in the pools. But the groups that own the miners and, and create the coins it's much more about a, a game of just reducing costs. And as opposed to also is this one where they're looking to diversify their, their, their money into other asset classes, 
what I've found from you know making the trip to Chengdu and Inner Mongolia, the places where um, a lot of mining is happening in Sichuan, is that they just want to create more Bitcoin and they don't have a use for the money. Um, they have way more than enough um, assets, but it's more of a, a game of who owns the most coins. So what does a world without Chinese mining look like? I mean, obviously, it's been a huge uh, boon for North American miners. Yeah, I think that um, first off, it was viewed as a you know, Chinese weapon is uh, what someone was saying a year ago. So I think having there be too much concentration anywhere is bad. I think we want it to be that um, this decentralized industry is, is at its best um, when you don't have uh, too much happening in one place where the people aren't going to uh, collude with one another. So I think having it be that it's not such a vast majority in China, I think that's a positive. Um, but I don't like it that uh, so much would be leaving China. I think that uh, the government for now is coming down hard, but you know, two years from now, I think China will still continue to be a powerhouse in mining, but maybe this is a path towards you know, cleaner mining, less use of coal, and you know, mine in a way that the, the government is gonna um, be approving of it so that people sure. don't have to, to do it and feel like they're um, gonna get in trouble for doing something that, you know, was, was encouraged a few years ago. Yeah. I just, it's interesting to me because we've seen these China bans for, for as long as you've been in crypto, right? Like every two or three years, if the price of Bitcoin drops, coincidentally, China's banning something. It's just one of the cyclical sort of FUD stories, but this time it seems a lot stickier. And I'm curious, you talk about China still being a powerhouse, but it seems like if you leave this time as a miner, you're not going to come back. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something the Chinese government can say to make them feel confident again that they can set up shop. But it seems to me like this really is the final hammer. Yeah, I think whether it's moving the machines back, I think you need a good excuse. If you found um, low and consistent power and uh, a friendly government, you'd more buy machines that are originating in Asia still uh, anyway, and use those machines to, to add on and the people they've they've already had the expertise they've already been been doing it in large scale um so i think that it, if they have the capital they have the know-how they, they have the uh, the land the assets i think it could happen relatively quickly whereas in the us we've got a lot of capital a lot of brilliant people but some say they want to get into mining and you could hear in the voice they're like i don't really know what i'm doing i need right. i need some experts to to lead me in the process so i think that they've had that first mover advantage it'll it'll still get them a leg up and speeding the process up um, they feel they can in the future. Yeah. So after eight years of doing this, what excites you about what's coming? What gets you up in the morning each day and gets you motivated to keep, keep doing this? Uh, I really like speaking to, you know, entrepreneurs in the space, people that uh, are really building something new and you could, could feel that, that passion that they have. Um, but also I think that they often are under tremendous pressure and don't know um, the direction they should take their company. They really value um, the advice they give since they know we've, we've seen hundreds of pro projects come through and know what the, the sort of markers are um, for success. And I do think that from an intellectually stimulating um, point of view, I think when a new area comes up, whether it's NFTs, I think having dealt with this type of, of stuff and seeing the new concepts and whether it's been a couple of YouTubes or speaking to a couple of uh, leaders in it, suddenly being able to talk the talk and answer that second or third layer of questioning from someone who wants to get into it. I, I find, you know, being an expert in something new, very um, exciting. So how about for the industry as a whole? I mean, beyond what you're doing on a daily basis, what about crypto that you think is coming 
people should be excited about? I'd say DeFi, NFTs, you know, I, I, I'm curious. I, trying, I mean, I guess it depends on the person. More. Well, it depends on the person, right? I mean, if you're in, if you're uh, in a country and don't have a bank account, DeFi is pretty exciting. <laughs> I'd probably say uh, guilds and uh, DAOs. This is one side of it yeah. where it's um it's 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 older than the medieval ages, but people don't really think about what it means. And I think that when you have a a club of ten friends or hundred people in a WhatsApp chat room, and um, you could use uh, different pieces of technology for that. But I think having something where there's a governance process, and if there is, you know, re- rewards built into the system. Um, that's already codified, you know, into the guild's smart contract. So I think that you haven't seen many take off yet, but I think you're hearing more and more people talk about it. And so if this is you and your, your, your college alumni or other way, being able to use software to unite you as a, as a group and have things automatically happen in a centralized fashion, um, I, maybe the word interesting is more than uh, exciting, but I think that's one of the ways where people probably don't hear about it or talk about it much today. But I think in the next year, you're going to see a few of these guilds pop up. And it's just another a really interesting use case of a uh, blockchain and, and, and tangentially to crypto. And Wyoming officially just made DAOs effectively like LLCs, right? Legal entities. And I think that's way ahead of their time, don't you? Totally. Yeah. No, it's really important also, because if you go to invest in DeFi um, and you're working directly with the founders, if you want to buy locked up tokens or you want to um, buy equity, there's no company to face. So you really just have to trust the people. And it's supposed to be a trustless uh, technology, but when a company wants to face something, there's usually ways to go about it. So if there's a way to have a, a DAO become a, a bona fide um, entity, I don't think we're going to get it right the first time. This is going to be an evolution, but I do think that's a really important dynamic. Are there any, as a market maker or a company, I don't know if you're based in the United States or not. I know that you personally are not, but um, are there any restrictions on exchanges that you are allowed to trade on? Do you find that that changes? Are there challenges in that arena? So we're, we're across all different um, uh, regions. And I'd say that you know, it takes time to get the light, right uh, licensing and registration to be trading in a bona fide way and trading um, you know, with customers is different um, from your own account. Um, but I'd say, you know, it's, it's hard to stay ahead of it because these, these rules are, are changing. And, you know, it's, there's, there's 50 different states and it's not just uh, New York's bit license. There's, there's other states that are having a evolving legislature and it's also, you know, other, other countries and there's rules on spot. There's going to be different rules on, on derivatives and, these things can change um, rather quickly. They could change on a retroactive basis. So you know, I'd say two years ago, we had you know, one lawyer and worked with a few externally. Now, uh, internally, we have we have 10 and, and work with uh, you know, five different groups externally. So um, certainly, um, there's going to be more legal work to come. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know, crypto and blockchain are one of the biggest areas uh, of new of new growth um, for, for the industry in the next few years. Right. I mean, very forward facing. Everybody sees what's happening with Binance. You know, it seems like every single day a new regulator is either banning them, banning their on ramp, or you know, they're reducing their leverage. Is that a reflection of what you think we'll see, sort of across the board? Maybe it's a cleaning up, or we'll just get more clarity. Yeah, I, I think that it does seem to be a, a, a lot of focus on Binance, but as opposed to 
there's this unfair ganging up. I think it makes I sense see. that they've been by far the, the the biggest and most successful. So it's sort of easy to, to see the, the the biggest animal if you're going to go on a, a hunt. Um, but uh, I, I would think that it's also harder to take down the, the big big animals since they're a very well-funded company. And if there was um, regulatory avoidance, I don't think it was um, taken for granted the path they took. You know, they're hiring some very strong people. They have yeah. Um, some of the deepest pockets of of literally any company in the whole world. So, world. Um, yeah. yeah, I loved actually CZ's analogy when it sort of all started. And he said, you know, he likened it to the auto industry. He said, listen, like when Henry Ford and they were inventing cars, you just threw a car out there. And then all of a sudden cars started to get in accidents. So you added seatbelts or safety precautions and you added regulations on how people could drive. Although it's hard to imagine that in 2021, I think that's a pretty apt comparison because they weren't going to stop building because it was unclear, right? And so I think that that's a huge challenge for this industry. It goes back to why regulation is a good thing, right? Because then at least you know within what boundaries you're allowed to do things. Absolutely. And I think social media is, is another. And if um, we were trying to regulate the internet in the early 2000s, I think we wouldn't have had the, the same growth. If these young entrepreneurs had to hire a, hire a team of lawyers, I don't think they would have created the companies that they ended up creating like Facebook. But now that Facebook's out there, you know, Facebook from a regulatory perspective is, is the Binance. You hear um, 10 to one about regulating Facebook more than anywhere else, even though Facebook is spending 10 times more than anyone else on regulating themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's a that's such a good point so uh but you're then it's not unique to binance what's happening they're just the biggest and they're the ones in the news yeah it's even coming to decentralized companies so i, I do think that uh you know the long arm of the law you know might not come immediately but i, I do think that the sec in particular um is is quite well funded and they know how to get the right experts in the right places so uh, i do think that you're going to see more regulation rather than less. And it's, you know, no, no mystery um, between what we've, we've heard about these last few weeks, the, the uh, amount of discussion um, has been growing and I think that's going to be a consistent trend. And I know we're kind of running out of time here, but I'm curious, you talked about the fact that you guys were a bit behind on DeFi that you didn't jump right into it, but now you think it's matured to a level where there's interest. So what are you guys looking at in DeFi without giving away too many secrets? Sure. So the obvious part is that we were going to be in pools as a LP, a liquidity provider. In the same way we're driving a, a lot of liquidity to centralized venues, we're going to be in the centralized venues. And then there's the interplay between the two. Um, there's a lot of R and brings brings additional volume um, to our clients to be trading um, one versus the other. There's also um, increasing our investment into the space by, by partnering investing um, with new founders. Um, there's building uh, with those companies where we'll have our own you know, Solidity coders that are helping um, them create their projects, building tools they could use. And these projects are highly modular where you could bring multiple um, together to, to serve a, right. a greater good than one of them ind individually. Um, and there's some other areas that we're, we're looking into, such as uh, staking, where uh, we've mostly been B2B and you know, have thousands of customers, don't intend to have uh, millions, but I think that there's areas where our clients have asked us for help. And if it's something we can confidently do um, on our own, you know, we might extend um, some of the services to, to clients as well. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So where can everybody uh, keep up with you and follow what you guys are doing after this conversation? Uh, our website is uh, www.gsr.io. And you know, we have uh, all 
gambit of, of social media, but I think the website's a good one where you have some blogs and uh, you know where we are in the, the media. And I think we'll you know continue to be making some some big changes over the next um, six months of the big rebranding, and we're we're again gonna double our staff between now and roughly the end of the year. So That's hear okay. more about GSR. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, guess, I, I guess even if it's a bear market, uh, everybody is still growing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and just promise me you're not going to go back to Goldman. <laughs> I don't think anytime soon, at least. Thanks right, a lot, perfect. Scott. Thank you. Thanks for having me.